this morning that he is steadfast, that he is unchanging, he remains the same. Oh 
Praise the Lord. We worship a holy, holy God. You guys can have a seat. Josh is going to come up and share with us. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Rimrock. It's on. Oh, here we go. There we go. Thanks, Caleb. Good morning, Rimrock. Um, I, uh, we've got announcements today. Um, uh, I'm Josh Hodgson. I'm the student pastor here at Rimrock Church, and uh, just wanted to welcome all of you guys to our worship service this morning. Um, and want to encourage, if you're new or visiting, um, we have a welcome table just out these doors, uh, kind of straight back. Um, we'd love to get connected with you and get you connected to our community um, here. Um, and I can tell you, being here a year and a half, we have just felt so uh, loved by you guys and just have been appreciative, appreciative of the community that you guys already have here and how welcoming and inviting you guys are. And so if you're new, um, guys, this is a great church to be a part of, a great family of uh, believers, and I just want to encourage you to get plugged in if you've not already. Um, also today, uh, I want to recognize uh, the veterans, um, those who've served and uh, are serving in the military. Um, and if we just appreciate the freedom that we have in this country because of how you guys have served uh, and, and loved in that way. And uh, so if you've served in the past or if you're currently serving, would you please stand so we can recognize you this morning? Thank you so much. Um, this weekend, uh, or last weekend, we had a retreat um, uh, down at Camp Judson with our students, and uh, one of the speakers, or the speaker was talking about the difference between freedom and license, <laughs> and I just think of, we have so many freedoms here, um, but as followers of Christ, that doesn't mean license for whatever we want to do. It means freedom to love the way Christ wants us to love and to speak his truth and freedom to speak those things and live out the way he's called us to without fear. Um, and so just appreciate what you guys have done um, to give us the opportunity to, to follow God in this country the way we, we are able to. Um, also, uh, coming up, we have uh, fall in, uh, Philip. Um, it's on the 20th, uh, that Sunday evening. And want to invite you guys to come out for an amazing uh, meal of supper and opportunity to hear about uh, Rimrock downtown and what's going on down there. Um, they've got uh, some stories lined up to share with us and uh, um, several different food options. I think we've got Pizza Ranch and Qdoba and uh, some other options. And so lots of food and lots of celebration uh, as we share those stories and worship together that night. So I want to invite you guys. Uh, and uh, um, there's info about Fall Fill Up on the card in front of you guys in the chair backs too. So if you want information about that night, feel free to take a look at those. Another uh, thing I wanted to I get to share with you guys today about uh, a trip that I was able to take with um, some fathers and sons this summer. We had the opportunity to go down to Costa Rica to work with uh, the Increase uh, team down there that uh, this church supports. And so we got to meet with Eduardo and uh, his team. And uh, I've got a video we're going to share in just a minute uh, so you guys can hear from some of the guys. Uh, actually, a couple of them are down there again uh, right now, um, working with Eduardo again and following up um, and helping with the project down there. Um, and uh, But basically, the Increase is a ministry to pastors in Costa Rica. Um, Eduardo has a heart for discipling people, 
and, uh, and there's fruit coming from that. The team that he has around him is uh, a young team, but they are hungry for God's word. Um, so uh, one of the men he worked with in the past, one of the missionaries we supported was Juan, who passed away this past winter. Um, and his son Daniel and his, uh, his daughter-in-law, Paola, have really stepped in to fill the gap of what Juan was providing before. And so we had the opportunity to be served by Paola. She was kind of the organizer of everything. Um, and, uh, but man, this, in the conversations we had with, uh, with those two, with Eduardo, uh, Eduardo has another man who's working there with him named Adan, who you'll hear the students talk about. They really connected with him. But they are just on fire for God's word, for the gospel, and, uh, and there's fruit coming from that. And so it's just a blessing to be able to go down and learn from them, be encouraged by them, um, to encourage and serve them as well. Um, and uh, so I'm going to let this video play so you can hear from the rest of the team real quick. Randy, you can just fill in all the blanks there for us, right? Well, while they get to figure it out, I'll, I'll share a little bit more. Um, there was one evening, just to talk about the hunger of God's word that, uh, that I saw in, in the team. We had Paola and Daniel over to the house we were staying at in Tres, Tres Rios uh, one evening, had pizza, and we were just sharing stories from the week, um, kind of partway through the week. And uh, uh, Daniel and I opened up a Bible and were looking at the book of Ephesians. He really is passionate about the book of Ephesians. And, uh, and slowly, as we were kind of looking through this, his, his voice just got louder and louder, and he, his excitement kept building. And it was just he and I on the side. Oh, here we go. Want to hit pause for me for a second? <laughs> but pretty soon, Daniel's passion for Scripture was just bubbling out of him, and everybody else that was having conversations had completely stopped, had circled around us, and were just listening in to what Daniel was uh, sharing, and just kind of like, what is going on? And so it's just really neat for me to see these students have someone who just desires to understand and know and share God's word and his truth so passionately and so accurately. Um, uh, it was just a blessing. Um, so looks like we're ready for the video, so I'm going to let Thank that you, go. Thank you, We had a great time in Costa Rica. We had a, a group of guys, fathers and sons, got to go together. What a blessing that was to begin with. And um, just to hang out for a week and, and work hard. We worked very hard, actually. Um, we uh, did a lot of physical work, and we did a lot of laughing and, and joking around too also and we learned a lot about each other we learned a lot about um, what you're doing down there uh, in Costa Rica we thank you for all the support you give us um. all right so some of the cool things that happened in Costa Rica on the trip I went on with my dad and my brother here some of the things like the weather is just so perfect we were expecting it to be rainy and weren't able to get much work done but then when we got there like the rain is stopped on our way toward to where we were going to be working, and then it, it was bone dry, and we had a little mess here and there, but nothing that would slow us down or anything. And then on the last day, when we were putting our tools away, the rain finally started coming again. It was just so cool to see the that something like that to happen for the weather, and as well as like someone named Adon down there. He was just like an inspiration where you'd want to be, be like him and his faith and you'd just be talking about like a movie and then just start to it, within a minute just start talking about 
the Bible and how good God is and stuff. So it was just really cool seeing how God works through it on. It was really cool to hear him talk. We'd just have just some random conversation with him, and then all of a sudden he'd start talking about God and the Bible and all that stuff, and he was kind of like our preacher down there, and I kind of think that, and um, it was really cool to see him work, and it really inspired me, and I think all the other guys. Uh, Watching him was uh, an eye-opener to the work of God and the grace of God and uh, the boldness that he can impart to those who would believe in him. So it was just an amazing thing to see all the teamwork. And I truly, I truly think that the thing I'm going to take back from that is that teamwork is something not to take for granted. It is something that should be taken from God as a blessing and to use in our relationships with others just to know that God's working through us and we can rely on him even though tasks may seem otherwise impossible. So, And it really opened my eyes up to um, wanting to do missions. I was really on the fence about uh, trying to figure out whether or not that was something my life, could, an area my life could go towards and I really think that going to Costa Rica kind of opened up that window and I'm really excited to go back someday. I'm jealous because he gets to go before me but um, hopefully you know, I'll be going back future and I just the amazing stuff we saw like the weather holding out the whole time and we were able to work so hard and, and it was just perfect that we could do the projects we could do in the amazing weather that we had in the middle of the rainy season so it was just really cool to see the culture and, and talk to different people and just kind of open my eyes to a lot of the privileges we have here. One of the most uh, impactful things for me was the, um, the continuity of service That a whole idea of service among the, the, the students that went, our sons, um, was really uh, encouraging because we went down there with a purpose to do one thing and ended up um, not being able to do that. And the flexibility that everyone on the team had to, um, to just pull together and do whatever needed to be done. That positive attitude was really uh, encouraging. I think one of the, the really cool things as I been home that kind of sticks in my mind is um, as we were doing some worship uh, with uh, some of the, the local Costa Rican church there and uh, the team, uh, there was, uh, I think it was Paola's sister we were talking with and and she asked well, us, what are, you, what are you guys doing down here? And um, we said, uh, you know, we're helping with WBT and and getting this in and then somehow we we mentioned that we were with Rimrock and when we said that she said oh you're with Rimrock well that just speaks you know you don't have to say anymore so it just I think it really impacted me as far as what uh, the church uh, Rimrock has done and teamed with Coast uh, and Crease in the past and how that has really impacted them uh, over the years and the reputation that uh, that Rimrock has down there is of a, a, a serving, a believing church, a church that is um, um, a, a, a one that wants to uh, 
spread the gospel and uh, love on other believers. And uh, that just really impacted my heart, I think, uh, more than I can uh, imagine. So thanks, thanks for letting us go down. Hello, Rimrock. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, go on a trip with my sons and these other men. What a privilege. Uh, these young men that we went with um, are just uh, some neat, neat individuals. Um, Rimrock, uh, you're, you have some great young men in your congregation, and uh, we, we should be blessed to have these guys in our, in our lives. And um, I think our community is, is for the better for such great young men as these, um, and they, they have bright futures. Um, and it's just, just a great opportunity, and we had a great time. Thanks again. There's a whole lot that, uh, in the eight days that we were down there, there's so many things I wish I could share with you guys this morning. Um, one of the things, walking away from, from this week, uh, we saw God answer prayer every day. I don't think there was a day that we went without seeing God <laughs> answer not just one prayer, but multiple prayers. Um, we didn't pay anything for baggage fees, and we didn't find that out until the day we were showing up at the airport. They're like, all right, you can have all your bags for free, even the oversized ones. Um, that was a huge blessing, incredible. We had 17 bags that we brought with us. Um, the boys mentioned the weather. It's the middle of the rainy season, and part of the, what they're trying to do here is build a greenhouse um, so they can have an aquaponics system to provide food and an income uh, sustainable for the pastors and the, the increase aid team. And the rainy season has been washing away the footings. They haven't been able to get the foundation done. The building was delayed. There's all these issues with things. Um, but it's just been raining so much. But literally, it was pouring when we got to the airport and on our hour drive to uh, uh, Ochamogo, which is the community we were in, and it stopped like when we got to Ochamogo. We started working, and they were saying that literally as we were putting our tools away after trenching and painting the whole week, uh, as soon as we put those things away, it just started to pour again. Um, and the team was like, the team down there is like, what is this? How can we go six, seven days without any rain? in this area. It was incredible to see God at work um, providing. He, we had people volunteer to deliver things for us when it would normally cost a couple hundred dollars to have. We had big IVC totes that were donated um, over and above, above what we were asking for, um, for carrying the fish. There were so many different things that, that happened. And uh, so I'd be happy to talk with any of you guys if you got questions about it. Um, and I uh, want to extend the invitation to uh, one of the great things about Increase is it's been an ongoing relationship. And moving forward, it's still an ongoing relationship with the team down there. And uh, in January, I believe, uh, Mike Hayes and uh, Andrew Vig 
uh, Paul Schenkel, who's, who's down there right now with Andrew, um, getting things ready with the building. It's finally there, the supplies, but they need to, a team to go build it. So they've been talking to a few individuals. Um, if you've got interest and you've got time in January um, and want to be a part of helping put together the building, we got the power to the building. We trenched that all out to there. Um, there's a lot of things that will be ready at that time, uh, finally. And so if, if you want to find out more about this and be partnered with them as well, um, encourage you to reach out to Mike Hayes or Andrew Vig. Um, if you need to get connected with them, you can talk to me too, um, and I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. But thanks for just supporting us, praying for us, um, and uh, giving these students who have been questioning, man, what does God want me to do with my life? How can I serve the church? How can I serve not just this church, but the global church? Um, giving them the opportunity to catch a vision for what missions is and what it looks like, and, uh, and to see the gospel moving in other parts of the world. Um, so I just want to say thank you um, for the opportunity to go with these students and, uh, and their dads. So thanks, guys. Um, well, let's just continue in worship and pray. Some of the ladies here have been doing this study through Hebrews the last couple months, and one of the verses that I've just been meditating on this week in Hebrews 12 um, says that for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are sanctified. So by one sacrifice he has made you perfect forever if you are his child. So we have that assurance and we have that security. And what a beautiful thing that the story of Jesus coming and bringing with him a new covenant. So let's sing this. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, his mercy
this chorus, just this chorus as Nick comes up today. And all of you We'll do it in the right key though. understand the implications, the understanding of knowing that you have done it all for us, God. All of you is more than enough, God. There is nothing left for us than just to receive the gift, God, and follow you through our life. We'd be with Nick now as he comes and shares, God.
ears to hear and hearts to receive, God, the truth and the message and the commands that you give us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, team. Thanks for the prayer, Hannah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 32 to 72, 32 to the end of the, end of the chapter. Uh, we're kind of coming to the end of our series on the Gospel of Mark, so we've got a few more, few more chapters to plow through. Um, and so today, I think the way we're, we're going to do this is I will read uh, the majority of this. Um, I'll take my time in a few spots, and we might just summarize and, and skip over a few, uh, so to speak, and then we'll kind of come back and and kind of walk through what I think Jesus wants us to see and, and the observations that we can take and, and glean from this. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, and I'm going to let you guys sit for this one because it's long and I'm kind of a slow reader. Um, but turn to Mark 14, and we're going to start in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us get going. Our betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs and chief priests and scribes. And the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to Jesus at once, and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching. And you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priests and the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter had followed at a distance into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness, saying, We heard him say that I will destroy this temple that's made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even with this testimony they could not agree. And the high priest stood in the midst and said, asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. And again the high priest said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit at him and cover his face and strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say, This man is one of them. And again Peter denied it. And after a little while, a bystander said, Certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered the words that Jesus had told him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you do not leave us alone in day-to-day life or even in our understanding and seeking out understanding of your word and who you are. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in us and through us, give us clarity, give us understanding, uh, that we might see truth, that we might uh, place our hearts in a posture of worship uh, and receive what you have uh, to give us today. Amen. The... If you'll remember pretty quickly, a quick summary, as we've walked through the book of Mark, Mark is very likely the one penning this, but Peter is is probably the first uh, hand witness who is kind of orating this to his friend Mark. And so uh, this story has a lot of Peter highlighted in it, and I think it's very interesting to consider um, him retelling these last moments of Jesus' life on earth to his friend. And the book of Mark so far has been very fast-paced. It has highlighted different things that Jesus has done with his authority and continually says, immediately we did this, and immediately we did that, and immediately we did this. And it's just this highlight reel of him calming storms, casting out demons, teaching. And at this point, it's like Mark slows down and begins to unpack all kinds of details. And this picture, this scene that we're going to start with today, Jesus praying in the garden is one that has, has always fascinated me. Um, I, I hardly know why, other than it just seems like this is one of the most sacred scenes that, that we can um, enter into. And so what takes place here as Jesus is praying is he has already declared very clearly in the last few weeks that I'm going to be handed over to sinners, I'm going to be crucified and die, and not three days later I'm going to raise from the dead. And so he, has, he knows what he's about. He has set his face like flint to go and, and get what he came to get. Uh, but in this moment, we see a very uh, tender, the humanness of Jesus Christ, where Scripture says that he, he took on the form of a man. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. He became a man, and at this hour, even though he knows what he is called to do, he knows why he is born, um, you see this very, very tender, uh, he says his soul is troubled and sorrowful even to the point of death. And so as he recruits his friends and he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he gets on his knees, it says he falls or he collapses. Other places in scripture says that he was in such agony that he was sweating drops of blood. 
And so you get, you get Jesus who, who cries out to his, his father. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So if it's possible, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know I came to save your people. But if there is any other way to win them back, let's do that way. And you think about in that moment, we can sit back here and we can just observe and read, but when you really think about uh, a man who is in, in, in insane agony, a man that is in deep sorrow to the point of death, and our eternal destiny is hanging in the balance, if the man Jesus surrenders and entrusts himself to the Father, or if he just follows his emotions. And as he finishes that prayer three times, pleading and asking, but every time you see this incredible declaration of, Father, I trust you. Father, I trust you. So not what I want, but what you want. And so the, the, the picture that I get, or the lesson that, the comfort that I have, a, a few. One, Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So this picture, the first picture, is when you see the humanity of Jesus and the total freedom that he has to feel, the freedom that he has to, to emote and to express that, where I think we get the freedom, part of the time is you can't even deny it, right? There's times where whether you feel the freedom or not, it just hits you. And so part of the lesson, I think, number one is feel free to feel the emotions that you feel and to express the emotions that you feel. That's what it is to be human. And Jesus gives us this picture that says, I know what it's like. Not only have I declared I know what it's like, you get to see that I have reached the point. You think about how much we've endured sorrow, how much we've endured temptation. Jesus never gave in to the temptation. So I think he probably has exp experienced the exhaustion of all of those emotions. So if I felt sorrow on a scale of 1 to 10 to an 8, Jesus has felt it at a 10. If you have felt anxiety on a scale of 1 to 10 and an 8, Jesus has felt it at a 10. Because he's never given it. So take courage that you have a God who knows what it's like to go through what you're going through. And take courage that you have a God who has conquered that moment, who has surrendered to love something greater than his sorrow, something greater than his desire, for your sake. So as we know, and we'll talk more about, the Christian life is about unity with the Savior. And so for me, it's understanding not only does he know what it's like, but he has accomplished victory over that moment. And therefore, he has equipped me to have victory over my moment. Because you guys know, when you're in the middle of the prayer, when you're in the middle of the darkness, it's hard to see. It's hard to imagine it ever leaving. But I think that's why we look upon, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Behold the Savior. We just sung about it. If he can do it, then he can do it with me now. The second lesson is this. How does Jesus endure such sorrow and pain 
yet declare your will be done. Again, I think, as, as heightened as his emotions are, what was greater is he trusted his father's love. In other words, regardless of what I'm feeling right now, regardless of what I want, I believe that you love me. And so I will bet my life on the fact that you are good. I will bet everything on the fact that this ends well. That you are perfect in your ways of handling me. You think about who has been more, who's been cheated more than Jesus? Who's been unfairly treated more than Jesus? No one. But even in the face of that pain, he says, regardless, I trust you. I think the main lesson, sounds like it's raining, doesn't it? Let's just embrace it. And I think one of the main lessons is this. Not only do we see Jesus express faith and love for his Father, but you think about why. Like, who's the benefactor of Jesus saying, regardless of how I feel, I will trust in your love? I am. You are. So I think the main message that we take away from Christ's prayer in Gethsemane is that he loved you so much he was willing to endure the agony so that he could spend eternity with you. So the times where you feel alone, I think go back and recognize if he was going to abandon you, he would have done it here when he was at the height of his darkness. So in times when you're at the height of your darkness, I think we draw back on what Christ has revealed to us here. That for love of you, I endure the agony. For love of you, I push my emotions aside and say, I trust you. He trusted in the Father's love, and I think he's asking us to trust in his love. Brendan Manning thinks, really, there's one question. When we stand before God at the end of time, he thinks Jesus is going to look at each of us and just say, did you believe that I loved you? Period. Because you think of all goodness comes from that. Salvation comes from the belief that Jesus really does love me. Obedience comes from the belief that Jesus truly does love me. And when I've come to terms with that idea and that reality, everything good flows from there. The last lesson that I take away from this is this. Sometimes you have to lean into your suffering. So three times Jesus prayed, and at one point he just gets up and he marches to the cross. And the rest of the story, you see a man who is determined to do what he came to do. And again, there's a lot of times you can't help the suffering that comes upon you, but at some point I think you lean into that. How do you do that? I think it still rests in the faith that this is going to end well. All suffering, the Bible says, is temporary. All suffering to, in the path of obedience is producing glory. And so recognizing the reality, and you guys have experienced it, when you know this is going to, just, this is going to end at some point, half the time that's the only thing that gets you through it, right? And so some of the, the greatest victory I've seen in people's lives with depression or with anxiety is when at some point they stop fearing the anxiety and they just lean into it a little bit. And it takes the power away. 
And so at some point we have to lean into that suffering, but I, again, only think that's possible if you rely on the promises of God that all things are working to your good. That the good lasts forever, and the suffering is temporary. As we move on, we get this picture of Jesus being arrested. Judas comes, and he has already determined in his mind, if you'll remember during multiple times, but at the the last meal they had, he determined in his mind he's going to betray Jesus. And so he goes, and for 30 pieces of silver, and again, the religious leaders have already determined they're going to kill Jesus. And so we see the climax of conflict come. Judas comes, and he gives him a kiss in in different Gospels. This account is in all four Gospels, and Jesus says something like, friend, you would betray me with a kiss? Friend, why are you here? Friend, do what you came to do. And then he looks to the crowd, and in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he, and they all fall to the ground. There's many times in this last week of Jesus where you truly see him as the sacrificial lamb, Uh, silent walking to his slaughter. But there's a few times in Scripture where Jesus wants to make very, very clear that no one takes my life. I lay it down. This is John 10, 18. He says, No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This commandment I have received from my Father. So there's all these little pictures where God once again declares his power and majesty and authority that the the guards and the clubs weren't really necessary. That as as Christ thought of you, he, he was going to the cross. That the Father and the Son had planned for eternity that he must die so that we could live. And there's these moments when people get a little bit haughty. There's these moments where people... Um, start to flex on Jesus, and he makes sure that everybody knows that this, this is on my plan, in my time, because of my desire to love a people. And so whether it's everyone falling to the ground and then stumbling back up, and he asks again, who do you seek? Jesus, I told you I am he. Or whether he's silent in front of the council like we just read and they're throwing all of these false accusations and none of them are sticking. What's the one that sticks? When they say, are you the son of God? Are you the Christ? And I think at that moment he stares him in the eye and he says, I am the son of God. And you will see me seated at the right hand of power. There's all these moments where God makes sure that we all know and all these people know that he is God. And he is in total control. And that's the beauty of the chosen sacrifice. It's one thing for someone to give their life for, an, for another when it was outside of their control. But it's quite another for someone to choose that for our sake. Where all the poison that was in my heart was poured out into his. Where all the disease and sickness that is in my body or the pain in your body, that we get a taste now, but the exhaustion of that was placed on his body. Where the separation from God that I deserved was, was he, he, all that wrath stored up was poured out and crushed the sun to the point where his heart was split in two so that mine wouldn't have to be. And all of that because of his choice to trust his father and to love you and to love me. As we move on, I think we see 
uh, different levels of betrayal and failure in this story. You get Judas who betrays Jesus very directly, right? And Jesus says, woe to the betrayer. It's better for him if he were not to be born. Peter, James, and John, they fall asleep while their, their king, their rabbi, their best friend is in agony, asks them to come with him, and they're sleeping. The crowds betray him with false accusations and saying, crucify him. The religious leaders have always been against him. And all of his disciples flee when the going gets tough and the, the, the mob starts to arrest. And so we see very, all kinds of levels of failure. We see all kinds of people forsake or betray Jesus regardless of their lip service. And I think this isn't for us to stand back and say, what fools? Because I think this is the moment the mirror pops up, right? This is the moment where we realize, I've had some victories in my life. I've had some, some wins. But man, I've had a ton of failures. I've had a ton of moments where I've betrayed my king. And God's saying, I need you to see that. Because we do have different levels of victory, right? The 11 are certainly more committed than Judas. Peter, who's talking about, I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus kind of says, yeah, yeah, hold on a minute. Well, in the right time, in the right place, when the guards have their swords, what's Peter do? He draws his. He, he, at moments, he is ready to die. We'll get more of that later. Young disciple sticks around, everyone else flees. He kind of sticks around until they try to seize him. I want to circle back around to Peter a little bit. I want to follow what we learn from watching Peter's interactions with Jesus. Uh, so far, we have seen Peter be a leader. We have seen Peter and Jesus have these incredible uh, moments. Uh, we have seen Jesus rebuke Peter. Uh, Peter's vocal. Uh, and remember, Peter's likely the one who's telling this story to Mark. But what we get, and Ben talked last time, when Jesus is uh, having Passover meal, and he says, one of you will betray me, and Peter says, even if all of these betray you, I will not betray you. I'm ready to die for you. And so Peter does what we so common do. We put on this we, we, we fall into the spirit of arrogant comparison. We fall into the spirit where we look and see what everybody else does and says, yeah, but not me. And so what's Jesus tell him? Before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. But I think there's more, way more failures that we see in Peter. And again, the first one is like, hey, Peter, strong man, I want you to come with me, O faithful one. Um, I'm getting ready to pray, and Peter falls asleep. And that's when Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but indeed the flesh is weak. Saying, I love your zeal, son. I love that, that you're committed to me, but even so, just like all the others, you'll fail. So I think, I think one of the messages, this is Romans 3.23 kind of lived out, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or Romans 3.10, when it quotes Psalms, says, None are righteous, all have turned away. And so we get this picture of, number one, that I don't even know if Peter realized his failing here, his falling asleep. And then as we go on, well, let me pull this out first, because I think this is fascinating. So Peter gets a victory, right? He pulls out his sword. Jesus says, put your sword away. 
But then if we fast, or if we rewind a little bit in Luke 22, Jesus is talking to them, and then he gets to the point where he looks at Peter, and he says, Satan has demanded to have you. And so this was interesting, where the first two uh, yous are plural. So what I think is taking place here is Peter and Jesus are having a conversation. Jesus is telling Peter what, what the enemy is about, and Jesus is also kind of commissioning Peter to be a leader. So listen to this. It says, Satan has demanded to have you all, that he might sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you, singular, Peter, that your faith, Peter, may not fail. And when you, Peter, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so as we go, here's what I think Jesus is, is allowing in Peter's life. He says, because of your victories, because of your talents, because of your skill set, um, you have lots of confidence because of your past successes. However, that's going to cause you to be self-reliant. That's going to cause you to compare in unhealthy ways. So here's what I think he does. A little figurine. So I don't think God necessarily is slapping Peter to the ground. This is his best friend whom he loves. He, he's good to him. I think what God is doing is showing Peter, you're standing only because I'm holding you up. And I don't have to push you down to get you to fall. All I have to do is take my merciful, gracious hand off of you. I'm not leaving you. I don't hate you. I'm not against you. But when you start to look at your victories and claim them as your own, and now when you're tempted to do all of that on your own and exalt yourself above everybody else, sometimes all I need to do is just not prop you up. And you go down. And I think if you look at your life, there's a huge difference between God saying, Son, I need you to understand that you can do nothing apart from me. But you will be able to stand if I cause you to stand. And so Peter needs to learn the lesson. So in the denial, Jesus is letting him see and taste and feel the failure. But if you fast forward, you see the incredible, redemptive, merciful, gracious hand of God where after Jesus rises from the dead and they go visit the tomb and there's interaction with the gardener who is Jesus and he says, go tell all the others and Peter that I'm alive. And then again, in, in this moment where they're having a conversation, he, he reminds Peter... He's like, once you recognize your humility, once you recognize your dependence on me, I will indeed use you to build my church. You remember the scene on the beach? Peter's there, he's, he's fishing. He's kind of back to his old identity. He's not doing very good. Jesus says, hey, cast your net over here. He catches a ton of fish. He goes, Jesus already has some fish. It's like, I don't really need your fish. But they cook together and they have a meal together and that's when Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love me. Then feed my sheep. I think this is reinstating Peter for his mission to build the kingdom of God. I think this is, this is Jesus saying, I needed you to know that you can't stand without me, but I have made you to unite with me and to further my kingdom. And because of my grace and because of how merciful I am and because of how good I am, 
I have equipped you to do the very thing that you thought you could do. But the difference is you're going to go out with confidence in me and fight united with me and love and lead and influence the world in my power instead of your own. And so it's an incredible picture of redemption in Peter's life. It's an incredible picture of redemption in the disciples' life. This is what it says in uh, Mark 14, so right before we started, in verses 27 and 28, Jesus declares, You will all fall away from me this night. Basically, when he's quoting Zechariah, when it says, uh, The shepherd will be struck by the sword and the sheep will scatter. So he's saying, Tonight's going to be a bad night. You're all going to betray me. You're all going to flee. And that's what we see, right? He says, But I will go before you. Galilee. And I think that's his declaration that says, you're all going to fall away from me, but this too I'm going to work to the good. Because after I rise, I will unite again with you, and we will begin to build my church. That's the story of redemption. And so here's the takeaways that I get. Number one, in your victories, we must stay humble, recognizing that if there is any good that comes from our life, it's because of the grace of God, the power of God, and the mercy of God attached to me. Number two, in your defeats, stay hopeful. In your defeats, do not let your failures define you. There's so often that we look and we disqualify ourselves because we don't think we have what it takes. You're right, we don't in and of ourselves. But that's not the plan anyways. There's so many times you look back at things you have done and you allow that to define you. And God's saying, get your eyes off your victories and get your eyes off your failures and fix your eyes on me, the life of Christ, the work that I have done, the work that I want to do. He gives us a new identity. With Peter, he says, yeah, you're a, you're a fisherman but I got so much more for you. This is who you are. Romans 6.14 says, Sin will have no dominion over you, for you are under grace. So each and every day I think we get to decide what we're going to embrace as our true identity and therefore what fuels all the things that we do. Is it your actions? And if you have victories, you'll get arrogant self-reliant, and then God will have to take his hand off you and you'll fall? Or is it your failures and you'll stay ineffective and probably sorrowful and not fun to be around? Or is it the work of Jesus Christ? I want to end with this. My mom tells me a story. Um, when she was a little girl, uh, her dad and her would dance. But the picture was this. She didn't know a ton of dance moves back then. So her dad would lock hands with her, arm around her, and she would put her feet on her dad's feet. And so as her dad would move, she would move. As her dad would dance, she would dance. So as we're looking, we can see an incredible unity from a father and a daughter moving together, dancing together, but ultimately, we understand and we know it's the Father who is moving. 
All she's doing is allowing him to hold on. And I think when you look at your failures, when you look at your victories, if you understand that the power of Christ rests on you in your weakness, all you do is abide. You just stay in his arms. And so when we look at Christ's victory, when we look at Peter's failures, when we look at the disciples' failures, look at your own, but don't stay there. Recognize the victory that Christ has won on our behalf so that we are, we can dance with him. We can create beautiful things with him, whether you look more like Peter or you look more like John, be you, but just let Christ continue to hold you. Let's pray. Father God, I, there's so many times in Scripture where we, we hear a, a principle or a truth declared, uh, but I'm so thankful that not only we we, we don't just base our life on a, a declaration or a, a principle, but we base our life on the faithfulness of Jesus. And then you give us all these pictures of, of these truths lived out. And I know for me, that's when I can see myself in the story, and that's when I can relate, and that's when I understand uh, my deep need for you. That's when I can see my sin of self-reliance. And so thank you for continually pursuing us in our sanctification. Thank you for the work that you have done, and I pray for these that, that are listening that it would be so personal, that they would recognize that in moments where they don't feel worthy, they could see you in the garden, sacrificing everything to have them. We love you, and we praise you for your love. Amen.
surrender and that trust in the Lord. You guys are dismissed.